turn again in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33 today. Last week we looked at Moses as he was leading the Israelites and chapter 32 we see that the Israelites rebelled against God and chose to go their own way. In Exodus chapter 33 we have Moses as going before God and interceding on behalf of Israel and last week we talked about Moses and his desire to be set apart in knowing God through his word and to understand God's work uh, amongst the people. And Today we're going to be looking at uh, God's people distinguished by his presence uh, and able to influence uh, through, through the presence of God at work in their life. So if you'll read with me in Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Havites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of Meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go out to the Tent of Meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one who speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And chapter 34 and verse 6 says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord the Lord, the compassion and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So we want to look at the idea again uh, this week of... Uh, The idea that God's glory revealed among his people is the substance of our declaration. What I mean by that is we all across the world now, you have people that make truth claims. You have people that make some sort of declaration of 
their worldview and, and the truth that they believe their worldview is based on. Uh, some of those have substance, and most of them don't have much substance. Uh, you can look at uh, a good example of that is uh, if you look at, I'm not going to get too in-depth in this, but if you look at politics, there's not much substance to back up the claims of politicians nowadays. Uh, I would say on any side, in any party, they can say something, but you, just because they said that, you can almost be sure nowadays there's no substance behind it. Uh, or you have other things that, that are going on in our, our culture. You have, uh, we live in a day where, uh, you know, people believe that uh, uh, based on how you feel and, and uh, those kind of things that you can make a decision as to what gender you may be. People can make those claims, but there is not substance to back up that claim. Uh, the point is that uh, even as Christians, there are things that we confess, there are things that we declare, and though there may be truth behind those things, the difference is are, there has to be substance uh, to, to bring weight to the claims that we make, the, the declaration that we make, the things that we say that we believe, there has to be substance that backs that up. Uh, and I believe today that the church, to have substance uh, backing up our declaration, it comes from the glory of God revealed among us. Because we are claiming things of God, right? We are claiming that God is living. We are claiming that He is active in the lives of men today, that He is not a God who has just set things in motion in this world and He has just set back to watch what happens. That's, we're not saying that that's who God is. We're saying that He is active today. That he can be a God who, who will walk with you, who will walk intimately with you, he will bless you, he will uh, provide salvation, he will provide forgiveness for sins. So in order to make those claims, uh, for people around us to see something in those claims, to believe those claims based on what we are saying, there has to be substance, right? We can claim things over and over, just like everybody else in the world makes claims. But the point is, people today are looking for substance. Right? I love to watch uh, debates between uh, atheists and Christians. And uh, what I've learned out of all of that is, it, just for instance, Ravi Zacharias talks about this a lot. If you don't know who he is, he's an amazing apologist for, for Christianity. But he says that if he goes into any room, he can write down a list of questions. Uh, and almost never will somebody come up with a question that he hasn't gotten before. The point is that humanity is searching for the same things. Everybody's asking the same questions. People are looking for substance. They're looking for answers to questions. We say that we have answers to these questions. So the point is that we better figure out how to live out the faith that we are claiming. Because there has to be substance. As we live out the faith that we are claiming, God will be at work among his people and we will see his glory revealed bringing substance to the things that we are claiming, thus being drastically different than what we see in the world. Uh, so that's what we want to look at today. Uh, and we see that in the life of Moses. Uh, so overall in the church, our desire should be to seek the presence of God among us. It shouldn't be to just, uh, as, I, as I said last week, there, there are so many things we can run all over the world trying to do things that even are good Christian things to do. Just because something is a good Christian thing to do, doesn't mean that's what God wants you to do personally. There are some things that God wants me to do this. I mean, if you read the Bible, it says that uh, each one has different gifts 
Uh, my gift is different than your gift. Your gift is different than my gift. And God sets the members in each place in order for the body to function in the proper manner. I can't do everything myself. You can't do everything yourself, right? But the point is, sometimes we have people running all over the place trying to do everything. And they get burnt out. They might be doing something that's a good Christian thing to do, but that doesn't mean that that is what they are supposed to do. Maybe that's what this person is supposed to do. You understand my point in this is that we should be seeking God's presence among us in everything, uh, not just the ability to carry out some programs and, and, and perform some tasks in a way that's successful. Sometimes I think in the church the way that we gauge success is we, we uh, do some sort of uh, uh, program or we have some sort of event and nobody really complained about it. Everybody was happy in the end, so it was successful, right? I'm not saying it's not successful because of that, but I'm not saying it, it might not be successful just because nobody complained about it, right? The point is that God wants to uh, uh, look on the church. He wants to, to uh, speak individually to us as each member of the church and for us to function in the manner that he would have so that we could carry out his work. I'm getting off into the weeds. That wasn't my intention to talk about that. So we should be seeking God's presence among us in all things because that is what brings his presence is what brings substance to our declaration uh exodus chapter 33 the beginning of what we read there starting in verse one it says the lord the lord said to moses leave this place you and the people you brought out of egypt and go to the land i promised on oath to abraham isaac and jacob saying i will give to your descendants i will send an angel before you and drive out canaanites amorites and all these people go to the land flowing with milk and honey uh, so the point is, in all of this, as you go on, you see this, this uh, uh, God, was, God was not happy with the Israelites because they turned away from him. And in uh, chapter 32, we see that. In the beginning of chapter 33, God says, I'm still going to send you to the land. I'm going to send you to this land flowing with milk and honey. So the point of that is, he's saying that I'm going to send you to this land that is spacious. Uh, a spacious Exodus chapter 3, verse 8 says this about that land. It says, a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and one commentator put it, put it this way, it's, it's abounding with choice fruits, both for necessity and delight. So God had, he was still, though he was not pleased with them, he was going to send them to this land that was abundant in blessings. He was still going to send them forth. He still had this plan. He told Moses, I want you to move forward into this land. Uh, so Moses, in spite of all that God had done, uh, in spite of all that Israel had done, God would still give them that land and told them to move forward. But Moses recognized, what, what is amazing about this is that Moses recognized that there was no blessing or peace or comfort to be had without the presence of God. So God was telling them, I still want you to go to this land with abundant blessing. I'm going to give all of this to you. And Moses could have said, okay, we'll go. But instead... Uh, in verse 15, chapter 33, Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? So in spite of all that God was saying that was available to them in this land, God was going to lead them to this land of, of all these blessings and Moses was not happy with that because he knew, though there might have been material blessings, there might have been, uh, you know, 
uh, all of this provision for them that was beyond what they could have had in the land that they were currently occupying. All that was available to them. He knew that in spite of all the things available to them, it wasn't any sort of blessing without the presence of God among them. He wasn't content with that. He wasn't content with just having enough for, uh, for today, uh, enough for tomorrow, enough, enough uh, uh, sustenance. And he wasn't happy with just that alone. He wanted the presence of God. He wanted to be distinguished by the presence of God. And it's the same way today for us. Too many times we are content with, I have enough money to get me through the next month or two or the next week or whatever it is, and I'm going to work beyond that. I'm going to attain all these things. Let's be honest. Today we work hard for a lot of things, right? Uh, we store up a lot of things in this world. Especially in this country, we have a lot of things. And that can get us through for a while, but I question sometimes whether we are as concerned about the presence of God going with us, being distinguished by the presence of God. All these things that we have that can sustain us, I said a few weeks ago, we know this is not necessarily true, but just based on the amount of money we have and all these things, none of us really necessarily need God. We think that. We, We wouldn't say that, but we act like that. Too many times we rely on the things we have to get us through and we are content walking through with all of those things and not having the presence of God among us. Even in the church, we have to make sure above all things we should be seeking the distinguishing presence of God among us. See, we can have an abundance of a lot of things in the church, we can have great programs, we can have great classes, we can have a large number of people. And in spite of all of those things, it is still possible that we might not be walking as people who are distinguished by God. You see, it's possible to not be walking with God and still attract a crowd. And too many times our... our understanding of success is based on the things that we see with our eyes. We have a list of things that we're doing. I'll say it this way. There's a church that I've known. I don't know much about the church. I'm not trying to say anything disparagingly at all about them. All I'm saying is I've encountered a lot of people before we left Pennsylvania. And uh, every one of those people, any time I've ever heard one of them talk, the first thing they talked about is how many people were going to the church. Right? That doesn't mean anything. I mean, to some extent, I don't want to say as a rule it doesn't mean anything. There are times where we can see based on numbers that a church is dying because... People have taken their eyes off God. That can be an indicator of things. But overall, it doesn't matter. You can have a church of 20,000 people. That doesn't mean one bit that you're successful. Or just because you're a church of 25 people, that doesn't mean that you're not successful. You know, I've known, well, my pastor from, from Brookville, there are so many people that have went into ministry under him over the years. And 
have gone out to other places, other states, other churches in, in, in our, our region, and how many people were affected because of his mentoring. Now that might not have had an immediate effect on what they, the people in Brookville see in their church. They might not see that in their church, but all over the country there are people that are affecting other people because he was willing to mentor somebody. Right? What I'm trying to say to you simply is we cannot judge things by what we see. Sometimes God's distinguishing presence among us might be preparing people to be sent out somewhere else. We might never grow by another ten members here, but if we're sending people out all over the country and they're affecting other people, does that mean we're not successful? My point is that we have to be seeking God and His desires for us. Put all of our personal desires out of the way. That's, that's what it means to be in the kingdom of God. We understand that. To be a part of the kingdom of God means who is the king? God is the king. Who sets the standards? The king does. Who lays out the principles? The king does. The subjects of the kingdom don't. We take the commands of the king. We take his principles. We take all of the things that the king has laid out and we enact those things. We act based on what the king has said. Right? And my point in this is not to say anything disparagingly about the church, but so many times I am telling you that there are people all over this world, I was going to talk about this later, but I'll talk about it now, the reason we have to be distinguished by the presence of God is so many times I think in the church world we are uh, cut off from what is happening in so many places and in the lives of many people. And I think I said this the first time I was here, but uh, Jamie works, she's a mental health therapist, and uh, the things that she's been able to tell me, which isn't much uh, because she can't, but... I'm telling you, there are sickening things going on in the lives of people. Things that they have allowed themselves to get caught up in and things that have happened to them because of other people. Absolutely horrendous things that most of us in the world have absolutely no idea are happening. I don't know some of the things that have happened, how somebody could endure it another day. But... To be honest, I'll speak for myself and let it maybe apply to you if you're honest with yourselves. Sometimes I get caught up in things, worrying about things that don't really matter in context of all those things. Even in the church, right? This person's upset about this thing. This person said, this is how we should be doing this. Or how am I going to please this or that or do this or all these things that we can do. We can run around all over the world trying to do everything that we need to do for everybody else because somebody feels this way. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't worry about people's feelings, but what I'm saying is the, the, the church in America is consumed by just making an organization function in a way where we hope that nobody complains and we miss the fact that these people are out here dealing with things. Somebody has perpetrated sickening things on this person. They are never going to overcome that by somebody just coming before them and saying, hey, Jesus loves you. There has to be substance behind that. Because you understand the things that they have dealt with, they're saying, why would a God allow this to happen to me? They have to see something living in us. 
It's not just a matter of saying Jesus died for you, you get to go to heaven. That's not the fullness of the Gospel message. The fullness of the Gospel message is that God has taken me. There's not one of us that deserves anything from God. I heard somebody say it this way the other day, that, that uh, every one of us deserves death. Anything less is mercy. Every one of us deserves death. Anything less is mercy. But the fullness of Gospel is that God's mercy would reach into my life and pull me out of that place of the pit of sin that I dwelled in. He would bring me from death to life. He would not make me uh, walk in as a person who is dead, spiritually dead. He would bring me to life out of that. Then He would produce in me a desire for the things that would please Him. He would produce in me this fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things He would produce in me because I don't have the ability to do it myself. I get to walk with Him today. I don't have to walk waiting just for the day when I stand in His presence in heaven, but I can walk with Him now. As I stand here, I can walk with Him now. That's the message of hope that we have available to us. It's not just that I punch my ticket and get to heaven eventually. It's that I walk in the peace and mercy and grace of God now. And my point, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that too many times, I myself, and I would guess that I'm not the only one, even in the church, has been consumed by things that don't really matter. Rather than making sure that I am distinguished by God in a way that... I mean, think about it even this way. Who, how many people in this world have reason to be joyful any more than the people in the church that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ? What reason does anyone have to be more joyful than that? But think about the last week of your life. Were you very joyful? We experience much joy in the salvation that we walk in. You see, it's available to us. We can be distinguished by God and His presence among us, bringing joy, knowing that even though I might face suffering and pain here in this moment, that my hope is beyond. My hope transcends this world, and I can have joy in those things today. So the point is that we should seek God's presence above all things. There's nothing as the church that we should ever seek above God's presence. And we'll look at the effect of God's presence in His people. Chapter 33 and verse 16, it says, Moses said, what, will this, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I love this. In Acts chapter 4, uh, it talks about uh, how Peter and John were uh, sharing the message of Christ and uh, how the religious leaders of the time we're not big fans of that by any means because they were disrupting the power that they had uh, they had attained. And uh, so they had brought them in, they had beat them, they had put them in jail. And, and starting in verse 8, Acts chapter 4, it says, uh, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so they were questioning him. In uh, verse 8 it says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to him, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. 
Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other, under, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In the verse 13, it says this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So when they saw the courage and boldness of Peter and John, they took note that they were unschooled, they were ordinary people, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. You see, there was nothing inherently uh, valuable by the world's standards in Peter and John. There was nothing. They weren't any different than anyone else in the world. They didn't have any education. They were just ordinary people. But in front of the most powerful people in Israel in that moment, they spoke with boldness and confidence and courage in a way that those people looked on them. The religious leaders looked on them and knew that those men had been with Jesus. You see, it can be the same way for us. You don't have to be you don't have to be somebody who by the world's standards stands out above everybody else. You don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to be uh, somebody that, that by the world's standards has great education. You don't have to have any of those things if the Spirit of God is working in your life. If He is, if he is the one who is distinguishing you there you can be sure that there will be people around you as you speak, as you act, as you live your daily life. If His presence is distinguishing you, you'll be, you can be sure that people around you will see that you are different. That you are not an ordinary man. You may seem like it by the world's standards, but they will take note that there is something different about you. And you can be sure that eventually they will try to find out what that is. Or not just people who aren't saved. Maybe it's fathers or mothers. Right? If you seek to be distinguished by the presence of God, if you, you may be ordinary by the world's standards. You might not work a job that everybody would aspire to do. You might just do something that seems ordinary to people. But if it's the presence of God working in your life, your children will look on and see that there's something different about you than everybody else, and they will eventually want that. Because they see something living in you. And we see that even in the life of Moses in chapter 34. Starting in verse 29, it says, When Moses came down the mount uh, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law, two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and spoke to him. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak to them, he removed the veil until he came out. But, and when he came out, and the Israelites, when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. So Moses would be in the presence of God and he would come out and the glory of God was so overwhelming in that place that it was reflecting off Moses. And the people around him would see the presence of God, that he was just in the presence of God. It wasn't that God was 
God was still in the tent in that moment. God was in that place. But Moses had been with him face to face and communing with him to the point where people could look at his face and see the glory of God revealed. And that is what we should be seeking as the body of Christ, as individuals who compose the body of Christ. I shouldn't be seeking my own motives. I shouldn't be seeking to, to do God's work in my way. My, my desire alone should be to walk in the presence of God and allow Him to be the one that distinguishes me and allow myself to reflect His glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 16, it says this, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. Beholding the glory of the Lord, or being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. In other words, if we make God the center of our thought and meditation and the things that we set our mind on, if we make Him the center of that, uh, we will inevitably be, begin to reflect His character in ever-increasing measure. Chapter 33, verses 7-11 through 11, talks of Moses going outside of the camp to the tent so that he could meet and talk with God. He was in presence of God's glory. He was contemplating the things that God was really revealing. He was listening to God. He was... Uh, uh, contemplating the words that were spoken to God and contemplating what it meant to be in the presence of God. And he was beholding the glory of God, just as the Second Corinthians said, beholding the glory of the Lord being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And he would do the same on the mountain as he was on the mountain with God, not just in the tent with God, but on the mountain with God. He was taking in, he was, he was making his one aim to understand the glory of God that was being revealed to him. That's what this verse is talking about. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So the question then becomes, uh, beholding is the, is the same if you study that. It's, it's interchangeable with like contemplating the things of God or anything like that. Uh, so the question then becomes today, what kind of things are we contemplating? What kind of things are we beholding? If you look at your priorities, if you look at the last week of your life, because we can say a lot of things, right? We can say that my priority is to seek God, but if you analyze your actions, a lot of times that will show us a different story. If we look back at the last week of our life, what kind of things have we been contemplating? What kind of things have we been beholding? What kind of things have we had in the forefront of our thought. If you look at Colossians 3, it says, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So again, if we look back, what kind of things has our mind been set on? Have we set our minds on the things above where Christ is? Things above, not earthly things, or have we been consumed by the things of this earth? Psalm 101.3 says this, it says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. King James Version says it this way, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. 
You see, my desire to have a pure mind, my, my desire should be to have a pure mind that reflects, the char- reflects and contemplates the true character of God. And there is no place in that for anything that is worthless. Set your mind on things above. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. You know, a lot of times we have come to the place where because something happens in a greater degree in our our culture, we have accepted a certain amount of things that are wicked to set before our eyes. Sometimes we pay 90 or or $100 a month for it. I don't know how much your cable bill is around here. But it's true, isn't it? And I'm not telling you not to have TV. I'm not telling you not to have those things. It can be anything. Sometimes it's how much time we spend on Facebook. I hate to even say the word Facebook. But there, you know there are people who get on Facebook and they become so depressed because they look at all the pictures that everybody else is putting up and they think how great their life is, not realizing they're just putting up pictures. That doesn't show the misery that they experience at times or the suffering or pain. Nobody's going to put up pictures of them suffering, right? It doesn't happen very often. But my point is we, we consume ourselves with things that will drag us down and take our mind away from being set on things above where Christ dwells. But we, we then fix our attention on what this person is doing over here or all the political rants on Facebook or everybody complaining about everything that you can imagine on Facebook. Or again, we'll pay 90 or 100 bucks a month for something where 98% conservatively probably is something that we shouldn't be watching in the first place. The point of this is not to just hammer everything that we're doing, not to make us feel terrible about things, but again, is to just say, there is something greater than this. Why, why do we say you shouldn't watch most of the things on TV? It's not just a legalistic way of saying, here's the rule, don't do it. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, there is something greater that is available to you when you stop taking in all of this, and you fix your eyes on God, you set your mind on things above where He dwells. None of this is about legalism. None of this is ever for me, or I believe the Bible, about a list of don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this, and you're a Christian. That's not how this works. The point is, set your mind on on glorifying God in all things and let Him take care of everything else. Because I don't have the power to do it myself and neither do you. I don't have the power to make this church function in a way that's successful in God's eyes, and neither do you. Not one of us does. It takes each member walking in the presence of God. And I will... When I was in Dominican a couple of years ago, I was... uh, We had a group that went out, and they were doing... uh, 
they're doing medical clinics and we do like prayer walks. So we'll have people go through the village kind of sharing the gospel message. They'll go door to door and do that. And uh, so they were doing medical and prayer and I think children's ministry. But uh, I had I had left and I was just kind of walking around the village by myself and I went down to the far corner of the village, kind of away from everybody. And I, I looked behind me and the houses in this village were like row houses. So there will be this maybe 100-foot-long building, and there's a bunch of like 8 by 10 rooms that people have for homes in these houses. And so I was standing there, and I was looking over the hills, and it's amazing uh, the landscape down there. You're looking over miles and miles of sugar cane uh, over these hills and the clouds above it. It was it was a clear sky with, with clouds on, and uh, it was just an amazing, amazing view. I looked back and saw this house behind me and, and somebody in this corner house, and I thought, uh, you know, these are not great living conditions, but how lucky they were to get that corner where they could have this view when they opened their door, uh, at the very least. And then I looked down, and if you've ever been to a country like this or the Dominican, they throw garbage everywhere. They know nothing of garbage cans at all. Uh, I think one of the only times I ever saw garbage cans, I was in the city, and they were all overflowing to the point where you couldn't get any more garbage in them, so it was just (laughs) all over the ground. So you have this amazing view. You have somebody who can walk out their door and see that every day, and you look down and there's just garbage everywhere. Everywhere you see, there's just garbage. And... uh, I was thinking that for a while, about that for a while, and you know, finally in the truck ride home, I was thinking, uh, how many times spiritually we do the same exact thing? You know, a lot of times I've seen it so many times down there. People, people question, why, why would they do that? Why would they do things like that? Why would they throw garbage everywhere? I mean, it's a valid question, but to me, spiritually, we do the same things. I just have this picture in my mind of the the barren land, wasteland that our our soul is without Christ. And how He comes in and transforms us. And the Bible talks over and over. Psalm 1 talks about being a tree planted by water and bearing fruit and all of those things. The Bible talks over and over in those terms. So how God, we go from the place of being a barren wasteland to the point where God... Uh, makes us to be people that would be fruitful. And and I just have this picture of Him creating this beautiful garden in us. But then how many times by the things that we choose to take in, we come in and just throw garbage all over it? It's not any different, at least in my small mind. The point is that God wants to make us into this beautiful garden take us from being a wasteland to create that in us. But we still have a say in the things that God is never going to force you to do anything. Every one of us still has a choice in the things that we do, the things that we take in. He's not going to force you to turn off the TV when something comes on that you shouldn't watch. He's not going to force you to say, you know what, Facebook's really kind of dragging me down. Maybe I should just Get rid of it. (laughs) Did I say that? (laughs) 
or just deactivate it for a week. But my point is that it doesn't have to be Facebook. It could be anything. It could be anything. That I have the choice whether I'm, I'm confronted with this thing that is going to throw garbage all over what God's creating in me. I have the choice to either turn away from it or allow it to be taken in. It's my decision. And in all of this, as the, the worship team comes up and we'll close here, in all of this, our desire should be to be distinguished by the presence of God in the same way that Moses desired that because the effect then, the Bible says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. God will work that way in people who are distinguished by His presence. Who seek that above everything else. I'm not telling you that you're not going to ever face pain or difficulty in life. But you can walk through that distinguished by the presence of God. Distinguished in Him in a place where you experience joy and peace through all of those things. But the effect is, and what we see in the life of Moses finally is, Verse 7, chapter 33, it says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring the Lord would go to the tent outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered. As Moses went in the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance of their tent. You understand that every one of us has influence. Every one of us in this room, every person has influence. Whether you like it or not, we have influence over somebody. There is no way around that in life. We have influence. Some have greater influence than others, but everyone has influence. Our choice is how we want to utilize that influence in life, whether we want to utilize that for the glory of God, being a person who is distinguished by the presence of God and His glory being revealed and bringing substance to the things that we say, or do we want to use our influence for our own gain, for our own purposes? You see, Moses was a person who desire was to be distinguished by God, and he would go meet with God, and his face reflected what he was doing with God. And I love this. It says that as he as he went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. So Moses, the person who reflected the glory of God on his face from being with him, the people saw that. And it says as he would leave the the the. Uh, uh, the community, he would go outside of, of that place and he would be walking to that tent and the people would stand and watch him as he was walking there. Why? Because they knew he was going to meet with God. They knew where, there was substance to the things that he was saying because they could see it in him. They knew there was something to it, so they would stand and watch. And every one of us having influence, there is somebody that is watching you today. Whether that's your children or a coworker or a family member, someone is watching you. And that is something 
That is a responsibility, number one. And we need to be a good steward of the responsibilities that we are given. Somebody is watching you. What are they seeing? What are they seeing? Are they seeing you serving yourself? Are they seeing you making claims, but there's no substance to it because I certainly don't see it beyond what you're saying? Or are they seeing the person who may not be perfect, but the person is walking out of that community to meet with God? It's walking out of the, they stand and watch you going to the place of meeting God, and when they come back, they see that there's something different about you. Again, you may not be perfect. But they see that there is a desire in you. They see that there is something living in you. They see that there is something that you are seeking. They see that you are uh, not the same today as you were six months ago or a year ago. What do people see in us? Moses was distinguished by the presence of God. Is that what people see in us? Individually and as this congregation, is that what people see in us? I'm not telling you that you have to remove yourself from everything that you know. I'm not telling you... All I'm saying today is we need to do a little more evaluating sometimes in our lives. Understand, do I actually have a desire to be distinguished by God? Maybe you don't today. There's nothing wrong with you telling God that because He already knows, right? There's nothing wrong with you going to God and saying, I really don't care if I'm distinguished by you. Can you help me? Maybe you don't care today. Tell Him that. Maybe you do care, but you don't know how to get there. Tell God that also. And then tell somebody here who's a leader so we can help you in that. We need to analyze the things that we are taking in so that we can glorify God in all things and be distinguished by Him, not just so we can have an influence on people who are lost, not just so we can have an influence on people who are in our family, but so that I can walk in the peace and righteousness and holiness and joy that comes from being in the presence of God. It's all of those things together. Our mission isn't just to save those who are lost. It absolutely is. That's part of our mission. But part of our mission is just simply enjoying the presence of God. But the thing is, sometimes we get it backwards. Sometimes we want to try to reach out to the lost before we are enjoying the presence of God. You can't save the lost if you're not enjoying the presence of God. So the point today, church, is how are you using your influence? You desire to be distinguished by God. What are you taking in? All of that uh, is interconnected in some way. This is the last thing I'll say. Ask yourself hard questions. Don't don't be easy on yourself. I had uh, a band director in high school who was he was a scary man, but he got the most out of his people. I'm not telling you to be like that. But what I'm telling you is sometimes we are too easy on ourselves and we never move forward because we're not willing to ask ourselves hard questions. 
Do something hard today. Evaluate your spiritual walk where you're at and make a hard decision. And if you need to make a hard decision in order to be able to move forward, tell somebody so somebody can help you in that. Don't try to do it yourself. God, we just thank you again today for the opportunity to worship you and to be together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be distinguished by your presence in our lives because we know that there is nothing in us that would ever merit your presence in the first place, but it is by your mercy and grace alone. Father, help us to be people that would never uh, just brush off the things that we are, are taking in, just just brush them off as normal or not so bad. But Father, we would have such a desire, desperation to glorify you in all things that we would leave no stone unturned in our lives searching for the things that keep us at a distance from you and then committing them to you that you would help us to rid ourselves of those things and take another step closer to you. Father, help us to have a desperation for your presence, your joy, your peace. Father, help us to use all of the things that we have for your glory. Help us to use our influence for your glory. Help us to be a congregation that desires for your purposes to be accomplished, not our own. Father, we love you today. It's your name we pray. Amen.